You're listening to Giants Croncast, a podcast chronicling the San Francisco Giants, featuring Brian Murphy and Doug Brazoni, part of FFSN, Fans First Sports Network. Uh, so I was reading your article that you posted, the most recent one, and um, my goodness, that was some good writing. That was a lot of anger in you, Doug, lately. The Giants have really pissed you off to end the season. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. I mean, it's all I could think. I, I saw so much discourse about that choice to for the Blue Jays to take out um, Barrios and put in and put in Kikuchi. I was like, that's exactly what the Giants would have done. Like 180% what the Giants would have done and exactly how it would have gone. Everyone would be like, that's why they lost the game. And they also wouldn't have scored any runs. So it would have been the wrong decision, would have gone badly, and it wouldn't have mattered because they would have sucked in another way. God, the Giants are bad. So go check out giantsdug.substack.com because you'll hear there's a great line in there that one of the commenters focused on, and it's really good. It's... It's exactly what Doug just said, just ranted about. But the Giants season is over. They had an end of the season press conference and it didn't really, I don't know, it didn't really make me feel all that good. (laughs) It didn't make me feel better, I guess. And maybe it wasn't supposed to. But I think between what you just mentioned, the Blue Jays, and just, I don't know, I'm, it's kind of stupid to say the analytics. That's what baseball is today. So I guess the fairer thing to say is, the way baseball is today is kind of a bummer for the most part. You're either yeah. your team either just performs according to projections and gets lucky in the tournament, or you have Jerry DePoto, Farhan Zaidi, <laughs> and the Toronto Blue Jays. You know, and if you're the Tampa Bay Rays in the World Series, like just doing these things that just make you scratch your head and bum you out. And it's just anyway. I was going to start this on kind of a happier note. You know. <laughs> Andrew Baggerly in his end of the season nuclear bomb that he dropped on the franchise, <laughs> uh, you know, mentioned Pat Burrell as potentially a managerial candidate in this uh, in this upcoming season. And I was going to have us chat, chant Pat the Bat, but Doug and I talked about it beforehand and we decided, nah, who, who gives a shit? So, <laughs> but this week we are going to talk about that end of the year press conference, which has sort of two components to it, a, a sort of. Zaidi looked back over the season and the last five years and talked about philosophically what he wants in the for the future, meaning this offseason and the next season, but also touched on the managerial search, which we will get into. And then we're going to end on the bullpen trust power rankings for September. No bullpen awards this year. No final bullpen trust power <laughs> rankings for the season. This team exhausted me. It's all exhausting. <laughs> You know, it, it's a long season, and I don't think that the way the game is played today makes it any less exhausting. Like, it's like the people who play the game or manage the game are tiresome on one level. They like they they arrive saying, listen, we found out what everyone's what the inefficiency was. It was joy. So the first <laughs> thing we're going to do is rob you of all joy. No hope. Just cold numbers then you're going to have to watch the game to see if there's joy in the performances. And if there's not, it just means the projections didn't work out. And that's on you for having hope and looking for something entertaining. Um, between Farhan Zaidi and Jerry DePoto, which was on the same day, or they're the day after each other, sorry. Um, it just, and those teams are mirror images of each other. I, I wrote they're like sister cities. Because they're so similar, you know, one's in the American League, one's in the National League. But if you are suspecting that the Giants, it's hard to find a lot to be happy with uh, about them, you're not wrong. And as Doug pointed out, it's not limited to them. It's all over the league. That's just the way baseball is today. And it sucks. Uh, <laughs> it sure does. <laughs> because, I mean, you, you grow up kind of... If you're like me, you know, you grow up as a kid, you watch baseball, and that's the certain thing that you like, right? And so you, they can tinker with it around the edges. They can sort of, you, you know, you're okay if instead of starters being expected to go seven innings every time, now they're expected to go five, and it's a great job if they go six. Um, because, you know, sometimes that's just how things evolve. Back in the day, a starter was supposed to throw a complete game every time, or else he was letting his team down. Now, you know, then... 
20 years ago, they were supposed to go seven. Now they basically just want them to go five so they can get to the bullpen. Like you kind of go, okay, sure, fine for some stuff. But then just not having a starter at all, not having any value in that kind of individual performance. Um, like that's kind of what you watch for. I'm not, I'm not watching for efficiency. I'm not in it because I, I'm like, I really want to see them maximize their, their lefty on lefty uh, at bats because that'll give them a slight advantage. And so it just, you watch and you go, God, this is all it is now. This is just all it is now is the most boring bureaucratic shit that no one wants to see. And then I'm yeah. uh, not, it's what you said, but it's like, you can already see what the issues are. You can already see what the next wave of exploiting market inefficiencies is like already. It's like, it's a market inefficiency to have a, a, a slavish devotion to the book and the book is new. Like this is just a 21st century book that got followed. And then the 21st century people came around and they said, that's old fashioned. And I feel like already this feels just like a lot like the tech boom, like everything's an app, but on top of that, like privatization, you know, how can we use technology to usurp either a public good or a private good? And how can we use it to extract the maximum value out of it for who? a couple of shareholders, you know, it's just not compelling. It's, and it's presented not compellingly. I think that's the bigger thing. It's presented as is because it's presented by the most Reddit brained, boring (laughs) people in real life. And so there's no dynamism. There's no, there's no Riz. It's a Rizless system, Doug. You have to have the Riz. (laughs) What are we without Riz? And it's like, it, it is an entertainment product. These are professional athletes, you know, but at the, and at the same time, there seems to be um, an idea of like, well, that should be enough that you are paying to see professional athletes, which you cannot ordinarily do. So whatever comes after that is irrelevant for your judgment, trying to have it both ways. You've changed the game. Now you're presenting it this way. It's getting a backlash. And instead of acknowledging that people have issues with it, they're just saying, they're just being stubborn and sitting on it, saying, no, it's your problem. Like Jerry DePoto yeah. is literally saying, it's your problem. <laughs> Jer- Jerry DePoto, we have a 10-year plan to win 54% of our games. Shut up. Yeah. Just shut up, asshole. Um, and, Far- you know, and Farhan is a little better than that. I mean, DePoto was very nakedly awful in that statement. But when Farhan was like, you know, if it worked, people would like it. Would they, though? Like, would they like it? Or would it just be a style that's not very appealing? I think, you know, attendance was way up in baseball across the league over last year. It was not up in San Francisco. And you can, you can say, well, they weren't a winning team. They were a winning team into September. They were over 500 in September. They were competing into September. It just was not a compelling product. And that's the style of the team is to be not compelling. Uh, And so I'm not compelled by them. I can't speak for anyone else, but I think I am speaking for a lot of anybody else's. You know, I like Farnsidey's personality better than I ever liked Gabe Kapler's. I'm, I think we mentioned this, like, I don't think this is all like Gabe Kapler's, but his firing was fine. If he had stayed for another year, like either way, it wouldn't have mattered to me. And I get it. He's a scapegoat. So, but as much as I like Farnsidey's personality, and even if I don't understand everything he's trying to do, I'm, I find it a little bit compelling. There was still that element of like, he's saying uh, things he, maybe he thinks he has to say. I just, I'm very suspicious of people who are like, on the one hand, you know, I'll do whatever it takes as long as it works. Right. Like you're not complaining about platoons if they work he says that in the in the press conference that he had and it's like yeah sure that's fine but it's it comes back to the stubborn you know again there's just a new book and people are just as stubborn about it as people were about the old book the the new book though is moneyball and i really think he is still of the generation of we're not selling jeans here you'll like us when we win you root for laundry that's it so who cares what I do to do that? Because if I think about those other things, it will distract from what I am doing. And I can't do that. My brain is not able to process two uh, thoughts simultaneously. 
I, I really think that's the case. To the point you said about Jerry Depoto, where he was a bit, na- where he was nasty. There are two sides of the same coin, though. He and Zaidi. To Depoto's point and the Blue Jays game. This is what I was getting at. The numbers that get cited can also be refuted. They can also be con- recontextualized, and and the the fact is they get presented to us without context, as though they have. They, are, they have smartly arrived at, well, if I rob it of all com- context, it will prove my point. It's, that is a sophomoric argumentation style thought process. For, for example, Jose Barrios, the Blue Jays. What was going on in the game? He was pitching great. What else was going on in the game? The numbers showed he was pitching great. Not just the results, but I guess uh, Eno Saras, the great pitching guy, pitching guru, wasn't he quoting like in-game stuff plus measurements? Like uh, Jose Brios has never pitched like this, according to the laser-guided tracking systems, right? Like his stuff yeah. is unbelievable. Can the teams not see that during the game? Like they're not allowed to access live real-time information. The the bench or the, fr- I, the I mean, friend. Maybe there. Maybe it didn't matter. Maybe they just had the plan well, that they were. Well, gonna that's go what to I'm saying. Game. If no new information can influence your plan, then you're no different than the than the the system, the old school that you overthrew, which they did. It's successfully overthrown. There's no question about it, which it's like if you want to throw Bruce Bochy in, some people will argue, well, he's old school. No, Bruce Bochy always used, used data. He was very open to new ideas and using data. But he also just had a sense of like, well, I'm not going to do that just because you're telling me to. I'm looking at the guy. He has diarrhea. I'm not bringing him in the fifth <laughs> inning. You know what I mean? But it's like this one, it's like, it's this one, it is always, it's, <laughs> you know, the old school version is Mr. Burns pinch hitting for Daryl Strawberry, right? Which is what we joked about. But yeah. the new school version is the GPS is telling me to drive my car into the lake. So uh, I have to do it. That's what says the direct, that's what the directions say to do. So I thought, that I thought, the, new school, I thought the new school one was going to be, well, the computer tells me to have Homer Simpson. <laughs> we'll see. That's why you're a better writer. Yes. That's yeah. the funny thing. But I, I was using two TV shows, yeah. two different eras that, yeah. that explained the point. But, you know, uh, also to bring it back to the Simpsons, they did do a, a new, a second baseball episode, which people forget about because it's nowhere near as good. But, you know, Bill James is in there and he actually says himself, he goes, I've made baseball as fun as doing your taxes. And that's what's happened here. So, again, so the Jose Barrios thing, new information doesn't matter. We're sticking to it. Uh, Jerry Depoto, the 54 percent someone brought up. uh, I saw like that's what their winning percentage was last year when they made the playoffs when they made the trade for Luis Castillo. So you idiot, (laughs) you just just disproved your like larger point, like of not going for it. And it's like, what, it's like, what are we doing? It's a weird perverted form of CYA. And because it's all based on numbers, which are sort of irrefutable in a lot of ways, but also because they're so full of themselves, they've written about and they've talked about because they're trying, you know, they've commandeered or overthrown an old school and commandeered an industry. We are, if we just pay attention, because now we have no choice as you and I and Grant wrote about, like, we're very aware that Gabe Kapler's managing. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, we're very, like, they explain their decisions very clearly. And so if it's very clear what their decision-making is, it's also very clear what those limitations are. And in between Zaidi and Depoto, who are two of the front runners, I would think, in the league, you look at the Dodgers' continued failings. You know, it, it's just like they are stubborn. And it's their own, it's just the own version of like, I'm not going to change because you told me to. And I feel like there was that undercurrent in Zaidi's press conference. He's like, I have to change, but I have to say that. But I'm not going <laughs> to really change. Because I think my process works. Right. It's like, look, I understand things have gone wrong. But on the other hand, I think I'm right. So <laughs> what am I supposed to do here? And it's and look, I think there's a there's like a, a version of that where that's largely true. But it's like, again, if you're looking for every advantage, right, if you're constantly overturned, you'll do it for a roster because those are other people. But like, is there not? I mean, I guess. You know what? We're going to talk about the manager for a second. I would say it's what I said last week. He's platooning himself. 
maybe that is the the move. He's like, you know what? I think I'm right, but I also have to acknowledge like I can't maybe see my blind spots. So I've got to hire someone who does see my blind spots. Now, hopefully he's going to have a panel of people helping him out saying like, dude, this guy sees your blind spots. You have to hire him. <laughs> you know what I mean? But we, I guess we don't really know. It might be that Zaidi knows he needs that, but doesn't really want that. I mean, because nobody likes to be confronted with their own failures. That's the worst. It's awful. And just to have someone under your underling who's like, right, yeah, here are all the ways that you're wrong about stuff. Oh, it's terrible. Who would want that? You'd have to have a very strong constitution to just take that all the time. Not only to take that, but to choose that going in. To choose Ron Wotus being like, no, that's a bad idea. That's a stupid idea. I don't, that's not a good way to manage people. That's not what we're going to do. Uh, you keep bringing up this bad idea and it's it's never good. I I don't know. I don't know if Zaidi couldn't do that. So the, the press conference, I think, was just not all that encouraging, which I guess it was going to be very tough for it to be encouraging, right? Just, just given everything that went on during the season, how it all went, how it all ended. He just seemed very nonspecific about what he like. And I guess he wasn't really asked because so many people were caught up in most of the questions were really focused on the managerial search and also platoons. Because like I joked last week, the silver hairs, like they go into anaphylactic shock at the mere suggestion of a platoon system. And so they didn't get around to like, well, in your view, what happened over the final two months? Or as I wrote about, what happened over the final three months? (laughs) (laughs) You swept the Dodgers in LA and then your lineup just turned into ash what happened you know uh that's longer than a couple of months that's more than a streak it's the majority of your games 91 games the worst offense that's ridiculous like and th- that's not even addressed instead it's just a defensive like war well our platoons were working right for a long time that was part of it is like they were working and then it just didn't work out and I, to that point, I think like I think all the platoon stuff was working. But like you said, once they got down to two pitchers and some of that can't be helped. What were they supposed to do? Like he was asked, does he regret not going after a starter at the deadline? He says, I'm not sure I I'm not sure I landed on that or I wouldn't choose that word, meaning regret. Could they have moved Mania into the rotation earlier with something he addressed? But he didn't answer it. He didn't say yes. He didn't say like, I mean, that's something worth exploring or, you know, thinking about, but you look at it and you go, yeah, they did have injuries, which hurt their, their pitching staff and the stuff was working, but then the final month nothing was working. I kind of think that that was where fatigue really started to show up, especially since you had a bunch of rookies playing far longer than they needed to. Um, Yeah. I mean, wouldn't it, I don't know. You're a reporter. Would a fair question have been when you made the move to get, only AJ Pollock and Mark Mathias. Did you have a sense of like, this could be a big decision that gets looked back on as a turning point for the rest of the season? Like knowing I was just leaving it to this decision to supplement rather than to uh, reinforce the roster. Uh, I mean, yeah, essentially I don't like I'm, I was, when you were saying that I was trying to think of how I would phrase that question. And I don't have a phrasing offhand, but um, yeah, I mean, you can say, you know, looking back on the trade for AJ Pollock and Mark Mathias, do you think that making that trade and only that trade was the right decision for this team? Mm. Which I think is getting at the point of like what happened there. Right. Um, Yeah. Because it, to us, it feels like it was, and it's, you know, it's, Honestly, one of the funnier things look in retrospect about the season was that multiple players said to reporters that they were excited about AJ Pollock joining the clubhouse. Because <laughs> <laughs> you see that and you're like, I, okay, I, I guess, but, and then so you just really want to get like a truth serum and be like, okay, but were you really, what were you thinking? Yeah, I, I gotta know. It's the biggest mystery in the world. So I guess it just kind of boils down to the Bay Area media kind of 
didn't really grill him as much. And, and it was still kind of a shitty press conference, which just, just goes to show that the Giants' own media management doesn't really rise to the top tier because they had a chance coach anxiety going over it. Maybe he's not into that stuff, but he had a chance to steer that whole conversation. And he kind of did just by not being pushed. Like he was, there was one moment where he was pushed a little bit where he was asked about his comments again, not addressing the season. Like he was asked about his comments made about the city of San Francisco and, and how that could cause problems um, recruiting free agents. And it was sort of even an unfair, slightly unfair characterization of his comments. So again, it was just allowed him to kind of sidestep any, like any of his own decisions, you know, it stayed on Gabe Kapler and then what they were going to do about the, about uh, the new manager search. And then also the platoons, but nothing specific about AJ Pollock, (laughs) <laughs> you know, Ryan Walker getting more innings than he's ever had. Patrick Bailey being gassed and still, you know, being run into the ground. Like, you know, it's like for a, for an organization that prides itself on building depth, it does seem like they seem to run out of gas in that process halfway through the se- season or did opportunities just not present themselves. We'll never know because <laughs> no one asked. So that's my thing. I I wrote that I kind of feel like I learned that Santa Claus didn't exist when I listening to him being like, there is no there is no plan other than try to get good players that fit this particular uh, shape and then hope there's some breakouts and or they develop into what their projections suggest. And the guys we get stick to their career norms, which we project for the next year. And that's it. There's no like. (laughs) <laughs> there's no like we, we've got a good guy a guy who's good at uh fixing swings or something like that which maybe lays bare the whole idea like that's never really been a thing um but you know for a guy that's supposed to be one of the smartest guys in any room he's in it just didn't seem there was anything to it there's anything extra special going on there and that could be tough for a team that's really that franchise that's really in the middle of a rebuild and can't help but make you wonder or ask questions as opposed to being content with what's going on. Yeah, I don't think I want- anyone's content with what's going on. <laughs> so along those lines, pat the bat? No. <laughs> the the managerial <laughs> search. <laughs> the managerial search is already a headache. Well, we talked about this last week, like Old heads wanting Bob Melvin. What the hell? Glad that doesn't seem to be uh, a situation that can happen. The Padres affirmed that AJ Preller and Bob Melvin will be returning. Good for them. <laughs> Good for the Giants, I think. Good for the Giants. Yes. I'm happy about it. Um, so, I mean, do you have any real thoughts about this? The the managerial change? Or, uh, I'm very interested to hear what you think. So I... I... I don't know if you get the like promotional odds emails that I've no. been getting since I wrote from Cubby Chronicles unsolicited. <laughs> um, but I do get those and uh, they always ask, Hey, if you're going to use this, please, uh, please cite us. And I, I'm not going to do that, but <laughs> I, I did get an email with a guy who set odds on who the next manager were was uh, the top five candidates not including Bob Melvin. So Bob Melvin is at number four, but we're going to ignore him because it's not going to be him. The top five candidates other other than him are Stephen Vogt, Will Venable, Mark DeRosa, Mark Hallberg, and Kai Correa. With uh, Wotus actually having the same odds as Correa. And then below them, Don Mattingly, Joe Espada, Matt Williams, and then et cetera. More, more guys. Um, and then at the, the bottom... The Giants because- hired Don Mattingly? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that I'm would be get put on a watch list. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit, they better not. <laughs> hey, all you Golden State Warriors fans out there, you got to tune in to the Oakland Warriors podcast, the official dubs podcast of Fans First Sports Network. It's awesome. It's hosted by Patrick Epino and a rotating crew of guests who follow this franchise for decades, just like Doug and I have with the Giants. The show dives deep into all things Warriors, both on the court and off. Will the Dubs be legit contenders this year? Is Steve Kerr actually going to play Jonathan Kaminga enough to have a breakout year? Will the Chris Paul trade be a blessing or a curse? I'm very interested to know that myself. And most importantly, can Steph win another title or maybe two? 
The show takes an all-encompassing look at the greatest team in the NBA. No hot takes, no agendas, no bluster, and no goofy knee-jerk reactions. Just smart, insightful Warriors talk about the past, present, and future from one of the best in the business. Tune in and subscribe to the People's Podcast, the Oakland Warriors Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, and on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash Oakland Warriors. Let's go! I, I don't think they. I don't think. Oh they my are. god! <laughs> I mean, Matt Mattingly is too much of an old school manager, I think, for Zaidi, and not in a in in the way that you could see it working, like like with Wotus. Like it just doesn't work with Don Mattingly. You have to think, and you know, I think Farhan was he part of the Dave Roberts hire in LA? I don't know. I don't remember the timeline offhand. He was hired. 2016 so yes so yeah yeah so i mean farhan already was part of a front office that got rid of don mattingly once i don't think he's gonna bring him in this time that would be my speculation but i mean otherwise those names I, Stephen Vogt could be a good manager will venable could be a good manager uh i don't you know i don't know but like we don't have any information on them and, and it feels like they would be very much mark kotze types and I don't mean that as like a slam on the A's record. Um, obviously, there's nothing Mark Kotze, Mark Kotze could do about the A's not having enough major league talent on their roster. Um, but just what, you know, what information is there on, on who these guys would be? Um, not a lot. There's an argument to be made that Kai Correa makes the most sense because what are they really going to do in a year? And I know that maybe the beat writers and the people that have been agitating for the team to make big changes, which are not changes at all, but simply to go back to 2008 um, (laughs) that, you know, they want a name, someone with experience. Kai Correa has experience being a major league bench coach is not an easy job. And I would imagine for the giants is like, a real massive headache. And uh, I don't know. At the same time, I can say, I can see keep Cray as the bench coach and just bring someone in for a year. I like the vote idea mainly because I like Steven vote a lot. And maybe he has more to offer. He was the bench coach in Seattle this year. So he has some, he has some experience already now. And I think I remember when he was with the giants and even with the A's, some younger players, they talked about, that part of his deal was like he helped younger players become major leaguers, like how to get suits and how to like be compose themselves and how to behave. And I, I think there might be something to that um, as like a more direct version of what Gabe Kapler kind of did. Like Gabe Kapler was much more about systems and programs, but maybe not how to like individually comport yourself. He wanted people to be individuals, which can be great. But at the same time, it's like, you know, one way of making people perform better is to reduce uncertainty. And maybe if you have a guy just saying like, go to bed at 11 or like, like, we're going to Cincinnati after, after we go to New York, you know, it's like, don't forget about the humidity or something like that. You know what I mean? Like someone who's a little bit just more uh, involved in your life a little bit when you're younger, maybe for the older players, it wouldn't work, but also votes not so far removed from being a veteran that there might just be a, a collegiality for a year. I could see that working with, which is why the Pat, Burl thing actually was like, oh, that actually kind of makes a lot of sense. He's already in the in the system, right? He already knows what the current Giants are doing. Farnsidey has a relationship with him. If there's anyone that I could imagine saying like, yeah, I saw the numbers and I chose not to do that, I would say it's Pat Burl. <laughs> you know, I, I could see that. And again, if we're talking about just a year, let's say maybe we're not, you know, as a year and then a guy that goes back into doing what he was doing with the organization, that certainly happened. But I guess the same could be said for Ron Wotus too. Um, I don't feel like Ron Wotus is like some stubborn jerk about numbers though. He's not Tim no. Flannery in other words. No, I don't, I don't think so. I, um, I know he was the guy who, when he was around, he was doing the infield shifts, which were really successful. And that was entirely data driven. Like I, mm-hmm. I'm sure he knows how to, I just, as kind of a, does he have an old school or a new school mindset? I would say he's more old school. But the appeal of Wotus is that he's, I think, like Bochi, he is open to new information. And he would be able to work with Zaidi. I just don't know how much how much Zaidi meant that when he meant he wanted someone who would challenge him. 
uh, versus paying lip service to the idea and then just going back to doing things exactly the way that he thinks is the right way to do them. So what are your rankings though, Doug? I didn't ask you to give the rankings, but now I'm curious. Who do you think you're, the top three are? Um, I mean, the the way people are talking, uh, I think Vote and Venable are up there. Uh, and then Mark Hallberg, I would say. The, cause, yeah, you he's know, my number one. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't have a ranking of those huh. three, you know, between those three, just thinking of who it would be, because they're very much, people have very much started talking up Mark Hallberg recently in a way that they were not doing before, which, you know, not a criticism of him or the job he was doing before or anything. Just like when people suddenly start talking about a guy, you know, it's not just them. You know, it's not just Baggerly talking about Mark Hallberg. It's what Baggerly's been hearing from other people, too. So it would not surprise me. Does it matter who the Giants manager is? I think that's, again, that's something said in the new book. It doesn't matter. The manager, the bottom line is like, we can't measure what they do. So we can't count it in. We can't factor it in to how we think a manager can help. But as Giants fans, we just went through four years <laughs> of, of this truth. The manager does matter for my enjoyment of watching the team. So. <laughs> The, the manager can, maybe the manager can't make my team better, but it can certainly make me not want to watch them as much. Um, yeah. And I think that's important. Philippe Lou, Dusty Baker, Bruce Bochy, they're kind of colorful characters in their own right. Uh, and, you know, Philippe Lou, you know, very... <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, it's a little bit sad that we just think about, oh, Jim Brower. <laughs> but there was more to him than that. And there was something fun. He seemed to, you know, uh, I don't know, he was like a very grandfatherly figure. Uh, but at the same time, that man did kill Jim Brower. And I watched him do it. <laughs> we were all witnesses to a murder that year. We might have even been accomplices towards yeah. <laughs> Well, we're certainly after accessories after the fact. We've helped him <laughs> cover up for his crimes. All right, shall we get into the bullpen trust power rankings? Yes. Okay. So we have 11 this time around. Uh, I put uh, Keaton Wynn in the rotation. I put Shamanaya in the rotation, and I put Tristan Beck in the rotation. I don't know what you did, but I hope that's what you did, because I yeah, only have 11 names on the list. I, I did that, too. I have 11. Okay. It was... It was tough this time because so many of them were bad. And like, I knew they were bad. Then I looked at the stats and I go, oh, oh, that's worse than I thought. It was really tough. The Giants bullpen um, both sucked and died and sucked again. Uh, they like went to hell and then they sucked in hell. Um, they were really bad. And, and maybe they were just worn out by this point of the season. Plus, when you know you're not playing for anything. Or for anybody who cares one way or the other. Maybe that's the other part of it. It just didn't seem like one way or the other, Gabe Kapler didn't care. <laughs> he never got too up. He never got too down. Wait, it, it seemed just... like he, he cared about his process and doing things the best he could. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as he made all the decisions that he was supposed to make, he was like, well, it's out of my hands. That I mean, that that was such a vibe that I got. I am very much of, I want the manager that hates losing more than he likes winning. Right. I, I, I want I want Bud Black to throw that beer bottle into the wall. <laughs> you because that's not because I want the whole team to feel that way, but I want someone very the bench coach not gonna, the bench coach I want to be a computer. I want a, a computer that's a bench coach. That's fine. But I want the guy being like if we lose another game <laughs> something bad's going to happen. Like I want that because uh there are those of us who enjoy watching the team win, but there are a team. Then there are those of us like me who get really actually more bent out of shape when they lose. Now, some losses, I actually am like, all right, that was, that was tough. It's a long season, but other, other ones just like, and most of them I'm like, Oh no, it's very upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> so with all that said, who's your number 11? Okay. It w- I cannot stress enough how tough this was because It Wait, was, we can swear on this podcast. They were all basically dog shit this month. With <laughs> one exception. Were, I mean, two. Well, what? yeah, two exceptions, I think. Okay, all right. I'm, I'm finally going to give a certain someone his due. 
<laughs> I, you know, at this point, I don't even know who, who you mean at this point. <laughs> um, anyway, so my number 11, I was like, because none of, well, some of them felt very bad to watch, but, but then they were worse than that. And then like some of them were fine, but I don't trust them. Yes. Which is, right. which is the, fun, which is the, the struggle. So, uh, so my number, my number 11 was John Brebbia. Oh, okay. Um, he just could not stop giving up homers. No, I don't. Um, it was, it was really ugly. Uh, he, in 11 and two thirds, I, I believe nine and two thirds innings, he gave up four homers and walked four. Um, that's way too many of both of those. Well, that's way too many homers. That's a little, a few too, that's one too many walk. And it just, it showed, you know, his ERA was 652. His FIP was 760 because he even got lucky on balls in play. 231 Babbitt. And I, he was just staggering. Like every time he came in, I was like, oh, Homer, Homer, Homer. Yeah. Um, and it's not that he was unique in that. And you could absolutely make the excuses of him being, you know, he came back from his injury and he just wasn't quite right. Uh, but man, it just, that's too many homers. It just is. That's fair. I had him at number nine because I kind of just thought the other guys pitched a little bit more and they were still pretty bad, but maybe I was just, you know, I have a soft spot for John Brebbia and he did the hidden ball trick on Gabe Kapler. (laughs) Yeah, that was fun. I would like to, now I feel like someone should have done like a YouTube video screen cap of John Brebbia doing that. And then with the, did he know? (laughs) (laughs) I keep Kappa was going to be gone. I put Sean Jelly number 11. I can't stand him pitching and I cannot wait for him to be DFA'd. (laughs) So I I have Jelly higher because. He got out. It's not that I trust him. It's that, it's that he pitched seven innings and didn't give up an earned run. Okay. I have to agree with you, but I I still don't trust him, but I have to agree with you. I'm going to swap those two. All right. So number 11, John Brebbia. Okay, I'm not moving off my number 10, Scott Alexander. Really? Even though he pitched well, but I'm like, after after you've already shown you can't be trusted. I did not uh, award him more points for not crapping the bed. Who's your number 10? Uh, So my number 10, because uh, we cursed him. I feel like it's on us. This is our fault. But Ryan Walker was (gasps) terrible. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Ryan. Uh, He, I mean... He was he was he worn a kid. Out. He was pretty clearly worn out. I mean, he yeah, was pretty clearly he, physically tired and emotionally tired, I bet. And I bet he wasn't sleeping. Um, I'm making all sorts of excuses for for Ryan Walker now. Well, okay. This is where the trust comes in. I think he's it's okay to make excuses for him because these are legit excuses. <laughs> I think it's okay because I like him. Well, I like him and I'm on to also push back over his final five innings. He was better. <laughs> He was. He. That's true. He was. He also gave up 10 runs in 11 and a third innings. Yes. In, in, and three of those were in Colorado and four of those were in Arizona. The, the whole Giants team gave up in Arizona and they kind of gave up in Colorado. It's also Colorado where his shit doesn't work at altitude. So I don't know. I'm I'm being a little more tired plus Colorado and Arizona. Tough places to pitch. And outside of that, he gave up three runs. I mean, a long season, the the dad thing. All right, I just did not have him that low, so that's fine. We I, can have. Him that I low. just, yeah, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't get away with it. I All couldn't. Right. I'm sorry. So, who's your number eight? Ross Stripling. I don't trust him. I, j- I just don't trust him. He, I mean, he was he pitched okay. Like he he didn't get a ton of strikeouts. He walked a few too many. Didn't give up any homers. Uh, also, the Giants terrible. wisely delayed his his yeah. return. <laughs> but the Giants like went out of their way to have him <laughs> the not Giants be on the roster. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, like, let me put it like this: the, the Mets GM just resigned yesterday for screwing with the injured list. I'm like, you know, Russ Stripling would have a case if he wanted to get rid of Farhan. That they did the same thing with him. Uh, yeah, the Giants well, didn't trust him. I bet yeah. there's some like, well, Pete Patella actually is the one who inputs 
that stuff okay. into the system. So he would be the guy. <laughs> Could you imagine if that happens? Holy <laughs> shit. That's that'd be intense. That'd be and intense. then Stripling still opts into next year on the Giants. That's, right. <laughs> that's chaos energy. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, he, he was stripling here too. No, yeah. I had stripling here too. So, um, my number six though, wait, I'm so bad at math. 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. My number eight was Alex Wood. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But you know what? Uh, I still, because they delayed bringing Stripling back, more trustworthy. But <laughs> but I, I will say out of uh, guys who actually pitched, and I think we talked about this two episodes ago, that, you know, that Wood actually was going there for a time was okay. And actually that was really just August because in September... He was okay. Wood was my number eight, and then Stripling's my number seven. And then, so then who's your number seven? My number seven is someone who uh, personally offended me after I ranked him highly all year, and that is Taylor Rogers. Yeah, he's my number six, but yes, exactly. <laughs> what the hell happened to that guy? <laughs> uh, I mean, so apparently he was hurt his last appearance of the year um, oh. when he gave up a couple runs to the Dodgers. But oh. okay. even before that, he wasn't good. Like, even if you take out, let's say, what was it? He pitched a uh, third of an inning, gave up three runs, which is bad. But even before that, that's still six innings uh, on the month and five runs. So, And you got to hope that he's not injured going into next season. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it just, he, he was off. And, you know, he was off a little bit. It felt like in August too, but he was able to get through it. Um, and then he just, he, he couldn't get through it in, in September. And it was the same thing. It was, and it wasn't for him, Colorado and Arizona. He didn't even pitch in Arizona. He pitched, uh, he faced, I believe, two batters in Colorado. Uh, it looked, oh, three batters in Colorado. Um, so they were kind of limiting him there, but you know, he gave up, uh, an unearned run to the Cubs, which was in the extra innings. And then he gave up two runs to the Rockies in San Francisco, gave up one run to Cleveland in San Francisco, uh, gave up two runs in LA, didn't pitch for more than a week, and then gave up three runs against the Dodgers uh, in that injured appearance. And he just, he wasn't, he wasn't right all month. I think. It's a good, it's a good ranking. I just, you know, I think up until that very last appearance for me, I was like, oh, yeah, Taylor Rogers. But, you know, you've laid out some really good evidence here. So I had him at my number six because Stripling was at seven. So then who's your number six? Scott Alexander. Oh, OK. Because he, he just lost it. You know, <laughs> you you talked me to trusting him. Yeah, no, as, then... as soon as we were on board, he's like, yeah. thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Suckers. <laughs> um See, and see, we're not making excuses for him like we are for Ryan Walker. We're not like, he was tired. It's okay. No, no, Scott Alexander knew exactly what he was doing the entire time. It was his plan. He executed it, and this is what he gets. Um, He didn't actually pitch badly during the month. That's the thing. His results weren't great. But, you know, he pitched seven innings, struck out seven, walked zero, gave up zero homers, uh, got, you know, 56% 56 ground ball rate. Um, 126 fit, 244 X fit, but 514 ERA, he just gave up runs. So, you know, no, he just doing that. He was my number 10 because he had his chance and he blew it spectacularly. And so they did, they just backed way off of him. And so with no pressure, he pitched, he pitched well. So right. that, that doesn't make yeah. me want to trust him more and maybe trust him less. <laughs> so. right. it's, it's exactly the kind of thing that led to Sean Jelly being ranked low, even though he didn't give up any runs in seven innings, because yeah. Jelly was in complete non-pressure situations where the game was way out of hand, like the Giants were down 4-1 or something. Right. So, you and know, this is a trust power ranking. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, so it's similar to that, except Scott Alexander, I think, probably came into a couple games that were closer than that, so. Uh, for my number five, I put Tyler Rogers. Okay. Who do you have? Uh, that's where I finally have Alex Wood. Okay. Um, <laughs> Congrats, Alex Wood. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's as high as he's gotten maybe all year. 
(laughs) (laughs) Well, my Tyler Rogers point is, is that he had a really solid month. He kind of got the, I mean, a 460 fit, but I mean, he had, you know, shut down against the Dodgers, shut down inning there, or should I say two scoreless innings against the Dodgers. That was a team that used to tune him up pretty well. He had an unearned run allowed in LA, but that was in the win. Um, he didn't get lit up in, in Colorado like the other guys did. They had a bad Chicago series, so that doesn't help. And, you know, it's Tyler Rogers and everyone gets just gets on my case. Doug, I've lost a lot of followers in this last month, which is probably fair, but it's like, it's like nothing was working and somehow it's my fault. (laughs) But I mean, like I've always been down on Tyler Rogers because I just don't think that his skill set is like a a guy that we can really count on. But I, you know what I did in fairness for this ranking was I just compared him to Camilo Duvall since their seasons for a long time were so similar. And I just kind of thought, you know, he was able to write the ship in the final month, kind of much like Camilo Duvall kind of did as well in a way that I was like, all right, I can kind of trust him, but around this level, not at the top. So that's why I put him at number five, but um, do you want to add anything about Alex Wood? Uh, Good luck wherever you go next. (laughs) Yeah. Have have fun. Have fun out there. You know, he he might wind up on the pirates, which may not be such a bad thing. They, they ended on a strong note. The pirates, they kind of, they did not have a terrible, terrible record. I think they were like 73, 74 wins, maybe. Um, so, yeah, he's someone that could help. I mean, you see, you can see what Alex Wood is capable of doing. It's not like he's a completely pointless major league player, but good riddance. Right. I mean, it's yeah, it's not that he's bad. It's that I don't want him on this team. Yeah. And so if you watch baseball, you understand that's that's hittance. So then is Tyler Rogers your number four? Uh No. Luke Jackson is my number four. Mine too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, he's following the Brebbia track. He's he's pitched better than on the season overall than Brebbia did on his Tommy John comeback. Yeah. So I, I feel pretty good about him. I mean, kind of like Scott Alexander, except in a way where I actually trust his stuff. Luke Jackson had, um, he pitched better than his results um, mm-hmm. on the month. Like, but Luke Jackson had a bunch of strikeouts. I think it was 12 strikeouts. That in, was 13. Thir- 13 strikeouts in 10 innings. Two walks. Yeah. Only two walks. Um, gave up only one homer, which is fine in 10 innings. Uh, it just, you know, sometimes you have the bad cluster luck. Sometimes it happens. But I think he, he looked a lot better than he had in August, which was really encouraging, especially because he is uh, going to be around next year, too. So hopefully he'll be a, a really strong member of the bullpen like John Brebbia was last year. That would yeah. be that would be a, a big asset for the team. I think there is something to players ending on a strong note. I guess I in my mind with just time watching baseball, it's less the rookies, because who knows how you know they could end hot. They could be a David VR basically. But I think for guys coming back from injury, that the idea of them ending uh on a run is is encouraging and i think he had like six or seven scoreless appearances to close out the month i i could be rounding up too much but after the chicago series uh he had oh he allowed one earned run so in his final six appearances after the chicago series 6.2 innings pitch one earned run seven strikeouts uh and six hits he had a 206 fip 135 era and he just looked good like he looked very crisp, which is why I wasn't dinging Ryan Walker. I'm like, the stuff's still kind of there. You know, it just looks like he's a little tired. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway. Uh, all right. Um, so then number three, who do you have? Number three is Tyler Rogers for me. Um, okay. And, you know, that's early in the season The you know, the top was all pretty bunched together and they are much less bunched together now. Mm-hmm. Um, like Tyler Rogers is definitely closer to the Luke Jackson kind of side of things than to number two, but um, he had a solid month. He looked like you want him to look. Um, and I don't think you can, you can really complain about the month he had. He'll, I'm assuming he'll be back next year. And I think that's, that's going to be a good thing. You know, he's, he's an interesting player to watch. I don't mean that as like a backhanded compliment. I mean, that as a regular compliment because the giants don't have a lot of interesting players to watch, but having the submarine guy is fun. And like, he's yeah. effective. 
So I, yeah. I like that he's on the team. Yeah, and I wrote that it's like, you know, Farhan Zaidi in his press conference said, we expect to have 15 to 20 guys back next season uh, in the roster, which doesn't, I don't think is like a cause for people to panic or have a chill up their spine. I put a list of like 11 guys I thought were sure things. And I did not include Tyler Rogers on that list. Rogers and, um, and maybe uh, Luis Matos were like two suggestions that I got on Twitter. And I'm fine with including them. I'm just saying like, is Tyler Rogers a guy you don't upgrade if you have the opportunity? At the same time, you're probably going to upgrade um, all the other guys that we mentioned, except for maybe Taylor Rogers, all the other guys we've mentioned to this point on the list. So is Tyler Rogers an issue, a problem? No, absolutely not. And if he winds up being um, towards the bottom or the middle, the middle to the bottom of your bullpen pecking order, then you have a really great bullpen, I think. Like you have an awesome bullpen if Tyler Rogers is not uh, like your eighth inning guy. Um, And maybe that's just my thing of like, he shouldn't be the eighth inning guy. But at the same time, the utility is undeniable. The numbers are there as well. So, um, yeah, that's good. That's fair. I, I, I already mentioned I kept Ryan Walker pretty high up there because I still two bad appearances, all the exigent circumstances. I was like, I still trust him. And it's kind of hard at the same time to like hold a lot of what's going on with the rest of the team against a rookie. You know what I mean? Who's pitched more innings than ever and used in all these different roles and has come out looking how he has, but I'm not going to argue there. So then maybe our number one and two are controversial, but who's your number two? Uh, My number two is here. It is buddy. You've been waiting all year for your moment. Jacob Junis. I made it my number one, (laughs) (laughs) but okay. Let's hear it. (laughs) Um, I mean, he had a good month and it's kind of interesting because he wasn't his first two. He only had four appearances and his first two weren't that good. In his first two, he went to combine four innings, gave up three runs. Um, but then in Colorado, he went four innings and gave up uh, one earned run, struck out five, walked one. And that's just an incredible appearance. Like, that's a great appearance. And then he was good against the Dodgers, his last appearance of the year. Of, of the year. Um, and then he unfortunately got put on the IL after that. But uh, but he, he was a solid pitcher. He did a good job. He was right he was basically what he should have been. Um, and you know, it's, he, he earned it. He earned this spot near the top. He, Jacob Junis, definitely. If you're laughing and you can rip on me, that's fine for putting him number one. I put Jacob Junis number one because I was like, you know, the last two months he's been not quite nails, but in any role, the giants have used him and he's been effective since in the second half of the season. So he closed the first half pre all-star break with the 469 FIP 471 ERA in the second half, 17 appearances. He had a 272 ERA and a 246 FIP. I don't see how I can't factor in all of his time coming into the month on, and then adding it into what he did in the final month. And then I compare that to how Camilo Duvall ended, which we're probably going to talk about this some more because I'm probably being a little unfair, but you know, ERA wise uh, and FIP wise, Jacob Judas was a little bit better and he pitched 10 more innings. So for me, I kind of was like, well, this is not the a season bullpen trust power rankings, which is ridiculous. It would be Doval, but come the end of September, whose whose fumes uh, caused more nausea. And uh, and it was Camilo Duvall's for me, maybe a little sicker to watch for trustworthiness. If this had, you know, if the season had continued into October, I would have felt queasy about Camilo Duvall pitching in the postseason, which is ridiculous to think. But that's to me what it kind of looked like. Whereas if like Jacob Junis has to come in to bail out Alex Cobb after three innings, I'm like, Junis. No, none of the broadcasters and no, none of the opposing team's fans are ready for Jacob Judas's slider. He's going <laughs> to surprise the world. So I think that's what that made my determination. But I'm going to now give you the floor to talk up how great Camilo Duvall is. Uh, so before I do that, I'm going to acknowledge that game in Colorado was awful. Like, yeah. holy shit. Um, and, you know, that was that would that would not have been a blown save. But uh it should have been, you know, it would not have been a blown save only because the giants were up by so many runs that it was not a safe situation. When he came in, mm-hmm. um, but he did blow a save in Colorado and then he gave up four runs in his next appearance in Colorado, uh, which 
was one of the worst appearances I've ever seen in a game the Giants won. But other than that, <laughs> other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, uh, how was the month? <laughs> and the answer is, hey, pretty good. Um, pretty good. You know, he, he gave up, other than those two appearances, he gave up uh, two runs and only one of them was earned for the entire month. So, and even in those two appearances, of those six runs he gave up, only two of them were earned. So that that really helped him out. He got back. I felt like he was back after Colorado. Um, and he looked basically right. He, you know, and that's four appearances, but it's still more than zero. But he was still, um, he was striking people out. He, His velocity, I think, was up a little bit. At least it felt like it was to me. Um, and he was, you know, his, his last appearance was... Uh, uh, not quite a one-two-three inning against the Dodgers on the, the last Saturday of this season, but it was a really strong, convincing inning against the Dodgers. When he came in and just suddenly was like, "Oh, oh, he's good," like he's you know you can relax. He he looks like he should. That was really reassuring going into the off season, um, and that's an important thing. Yeah, I mean, if we're doing bullpen trust power rankings, like a preseason preview, he's my number one. And I think this season you can almost track Camilo Duvall's effectiveness to the Giants being good. Yeah. Uh, he was he was sloppy or shaky in April, and the Giants were too. You know, he kind of lost it with four straight blown saves at one point this season. Not a great second half. Same with the team. He is such an important piece for them. You know, there there's a if there's any silver lining to the season, and I would say there probably isn't, this doesn't really count, <laughs> is that he's not going to have to pitch an extra month. He already yeah. has pitched an extra month with the World Baseball Classic. So the extra bit of rest, it's so important. <laughs> if the Giants don't have him in the bullpen, they are f- <laughs> they are he is the straw that stirs the drink all their other scheming and conniving and and uh, and cool delicate math modeling it doesn't matter they have a hundred miles per hour at the end of the game this massive beast of a human who can just overpower an opposing lineup that defies analytics it's just like he's good he's good he's one of your best he's your top three talent on the roster if they don't have him they are fucked so it's very important that he stays healthy. He comes back strong. So that's why I say if there is a silver lining and I can be argued out of there being one at all, <laughs> that he doesn't have to pitch this in October. Yeah, I, I think that would have been pretty bad for his long-term health. Yeah. So. Which, hey, it still could be. Still <laughs> he could was be. used hey, a lot this year. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, she- I, think, I think that overuse end of July, early August really is what caught up to him. So let's uh, recap real quick. Why don't you give your 11? All right. Uh, for me, it was I, 11 was John Brebbia. And then I went with Ryan Walker, Sean Jelly, Ross Stripling, Taylor Rogers, Scott Alexander, Alex Wood, Luke Jackson, Tyler Rogers, Jacob Junis, and Camilo Duvall. And I was John Brebbia, Scott Alexander, Sean Jelly, Alex Wood, Ross Stripling, Taylor Rogers. Tyler Rogers at number five, Luke Jackson at number four, Ryan Walker, and then <laughs> perhaps stupidly, Camilo Duvall, number two, Jacob Junis, number one. This is trust rankings ending September. Um, hopefully next September, it will be Camilo Duvall, number one. And we'll be talking about October when the Giants are the third wild card and <laughs> so get back to the first round. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but... We will be back uh, when the Giants hire their manager, which we've been assured is going to happen before free agency starts, which is November. So when the Giants have a new manager, you will have a new episode of the Giants Concast. In the meantime, I'll be soliciting your questions for an off-season mailbag as well. I think a lot of changes are coming in our lives and the Giants, Doug, and it will be fun to discuss those at a later date. Absolutely. I look forward to a later date. <laughs> And uh, are you are you going in hibernation or no? And no, I'm 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 still going to keep writing uh, during the off season. Not technically the off season for uh, eight teams right now, but it's the off season for the Giants. So you can find me at giantsdug.substack.com where I write every Tuesday and Thursday. Brian, where can people find you? 
Still at McCoveyChronicles.com, where I said the fans were the 10th most deserving group uh, for what happened this season. And for one reason alone, we had expectations, and that was our fault. (laughs) (laughs) So we deserve the pain of this season, the 10th most. Anyway, don't forget, we're on Fans First Sports Network, fansfirstsports.com, where you can check out all the other podcasts the Warriors podcast, the 49ers podcast. Maybe there's a Sharks podcast. I don't know. I'm excited to go to a hockey game in the offseason because it's a long one because the Giants aren't in it. So <laughs> until our next episode, go Giants on hiring a manager. Go Giants!